Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the Busby Babe podcast. Uh, this is Colin Dams, once again, joined by Polly and Nathan. How's it going, boys? Hey, girl. Hey. Sup? Uh, bonus points to Nathan for the improv on that one. Yeah, well, there's there's live football on my computer screen right now. Actually, not. It's a commercial break. <laughs> hey, man, right. when you pack a uh, team of the season, Lewandowski, like everything else is just, you know. Yeah, Nathan is riding a pretty pretty nice high from his uh, FIFA Ultimate Team weekend. Um, probably bigger news than uh, the Bundesliga being back is that he packed a team of the season, Robert Lewandowski, as well as uh, prime icon Puyol. And um, what Proceeded was that? Uh, oh sold yeah, Puyol. Because he yeah. also got a team of the season, Harry Maguire. Yeah, boy. <laughs> anyway. It only um, took eight seconds for me to be out today. Yeah, it only took it only took <laughs> nine months for me to finally enjoy FIFA 20. So you know that's that's a good sign that this, EA is this doing well. Like this this conversation, I could just tell you, is so lost on me. And but I I'm also with you that I think like if I played this, I would want to be talking about my team too. Yeah, you would. <laughs> but but I it, could tell you, no one cares. It's like it's like it's like fantasy football. Nobody yeah. cares about your fantasy football team. Except but all you want to do is talk yeah. about it. But all you want to do is talk about it, yep. Well, top of our actual uh, talking points is Bundesliga being back, and Polly is in his Borussia Dortmund jersey. Is it, uh, Was that Jaden Sancho that I saw, Polly? This is my Jaden Sancho jersey. I This was, like I say, I'm a hipster on everything. I bought this in, like, September of last year, so it was, like... Right around when Christian Pulisic got hurt and this kid Jaden Sancho came in and started replacing him. So it was, in other words, before he was cool. Right, right, right. But also, in a way, after he's cool because he's left Manchester City by this point. Right. But also, they like obviously sent the wrong size, so it's a little bit too small on me. So it's the first time I'm wearing it. <laughs> a Puma jersey, too small? No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My pool jersey fits perfectly. Hey, that's why I never got a pool of sick uh, uh, Dortmund jersey because I was like, I don't feel like having something painted onto my body. I'll just wait till he finally goes to United. Fingers crossed. Oh, what a thought process. I wrote about that today. It was yeah. in my what if piece. <laughs> well, judging by what I saw on the news, uh, if you're a winger at Chelsea, not named Calum Hudson Adoy, you're going to have playing time coming up. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. I thought that I almost thought that was an NFL update, given the NFL updates that I've been getting the last couple of days too. <laughs> what NFL players are kind of famous? Well, you know, the footballers are kind of just as bad. Yeah. But uh, anyway, a little bit of action for Jaden Sancho this weekend as Bundesliga returned a four 0 victory for uh, Borussia Dortmund over uh, Schalke in the Revier Derby. Probably the least exciting. Uh, Revere Derby in quite some time because not only were there no fans there, but uh, Schalke did not look like they really belonged on the same pitch at all. Uh, Schalke are a bad team. They're not a yeah. uh, they're not a bad team. They aren't good, and Dortmund are way better than them. And that's the thing. What happens when you take the fans out of the equation is mm-hmm. there's nothing that really brings you up above the edge. I wrote about this when we, when we first went behind closed doors. I said. You remember Norwich beating Manchester City, and if you played that game at a neutral site, or if you played that game behind closed doors, did Norwich stand any chance of winning that game? And the answer is no. And Schalke are a team that struggle to score goals now. 
Dortmund are a team that have Erling Holland who struggles to not score goals. There was only one way this game was going to go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> go ahead. <Nick. laughs> well, <laughs> I was only going to make another joke because we always have to bring it back to the U.S. men's national team. I mean, Schalke, you can't just put everything on Wes McKinney's shoulders. Like some other people need to step up. Well, we do the same thing with our French midfielder. <laughs> yeah. And uh, given the player ratings, as well as the eye test, uh, Weston McKinney, probably the only player that stuck out, if any, for Schalke. But it really seems like the battle for momentum is just a lot tougher for the underdog in these sort of matches. And like you mentioned with Norwich beating Manchester City, that obviously wouldn't have happened. But even like Bayern Munich yesterday kind of struggled to get going despite having all the momentum because they couldn't get that first goal but the second half, they just it was just a walk in the park for them. I think the only one uh, this weekend that I've seen that was actually like a contest was the RB Leipzig game, which they probably should have lost in the dying seconds. Well, Leipzig kind of pummeled them. And uh, this was this is uh, I think we spoke about this on the last podcast, but the Leipzig game turned out to be more exciting than the Dortmund game right off the get go. I mean, it mm-hmm. took me. As someone who is sitting here wearing one of my Borussia Dortmund jerseys. So I have multiple. I love watching them play. It took me like seven minutes to be like, I'm done with this shit. This is boring. <laughs> and I knew the Leipzig game was a better game. But it, like I said, we spoke about this last time. Was The issue was I flipped over and there's that weird glare and shadows on the field. And I was like, I can't follow this. I was like, bring me back. It's a cloudy day in Dortmund. It was much easier to watch and follow everything. I couldn't deal with the ball going in and out of the shadows. But you talk, yeah, that you talk about the momentum. That's what it is. We saw it against with United when they went to Lask, and Lask were never able to get going. And, and Lasks got to that stage of the competition because of being very good at home, and and be, and they're good at home because of the great home support, and it, they were not an easy place for anyone to go to. And, you know, why is Partizan, when we went to Partizan Belgrade, why is that a difficult place to go to? It's because the fans are relentless, and they're right on top of you. And if you take them out of the out of the equation, is it a difficult place to go? No, it's just your, your legs are a little bit tired from the flight. And Lask just completely, like, that should have been the biggest game in Lask's life in the history of the club, at least their recent history, and it was nothing. And this is what the Bundesliga is now. And the it's awkward because the Bundesliga is so heavily tied to their fan culture and, and the ultras and all the different ultra groups at these different grounds. And when you take them away, when you take that away, a lot of these clubs really just become quite anonymous. Yeah, and I feel... I think the team I feel most bad for then in that situation is uh, Union Berlin, just because they have Bayern Munich coming into town. Um, And you would think in normal circumstances, that place would have been flipping out with Bayern Munich in their stadium. I mean, they already have a sellout crowd. They have one of the better um, fan atmospheres, as a lot of people have reported in German football, just because it's their first season in the Bundesliga and they're, you know, making a lot of noise and playing a lot better than Hertha Berlin is. So they're kind of becoming the team of Berlin as well, um, which is a, a city dying for, you know, a good football team consistently. Um, so I think them not being able to have 
Bayern Munich, it was disappointing because I thought they played fine in the first half. Like there was some opportunities for them to score even before uh, Bayern Munich did, but ultimately Bayern Munich just became too much. But you, you got to wonder if the full fan atmosphere is there. Does Bayern Munich really start to struggle as they have a goal called off for offsides and they can't quite get Lewandowski producing in front of goal? Do you think that starts to get in their head? Um, whereas like the Dortmund game, I don't think Schalke is getting into like FU mode because the yellow wall is like screaming down their throats. I, th- I think either way that was going to be a blowout no matter what. Um, it just happened to be in silence, which was equally eerie. Right, and it goes both ways because Bayern don't even have their fans. Whatever contingent of visiting fans you get to egg them to to gear them on, and and yes, yeah, Schalke don't get you know, and even if however many Schalke fans would have been there, you know, these Dortmund fans, eighty thousand minus however many Schalke fans would have been there, you know, an hour before building the atmosphere of this match. That when you're out there for the warmups and and the fans are going nuts. You feel it. The goosebumps rise on you. And you're, you go into that dressing room for your final preparations and you're, you come out raring to go. And that just doesn't exist anymore. And I, I wrote, I, I'm not, actually Brent might have cut it out when I wrote it in the, in the chippy this morning was maybe in 1980 this works because in 19, in the eighties and the seventies, the players are still very local and the players, the Dortmund players are still primarily Dortmund and and the Schalke players are still Schalke and they grow up hating those clubs. And when they see them lining up on the other side, they just want to, they want to go out there and destroy these guys. Nowadays, the players are all from everywhere. They understand how big this game is for the fans. So when, when Dortmund line up and they see those blue jerseys from Schalke, there's no doubt that they want to win this game because they know it means something for the fans. But they also look and it's like, that's my international teammate. You know, that's my buddy. I see him in the tunnel. There's a handshake in there's a handshake for me. So if you don't have that big atmosphere coming from the fans, because that's, you know, for the fans, this is bragging rights. When I go to work this week, it's all of that. And that gets translated down onto the pitch from their chants and their cheering and their screaming. When you don't have that, the game is just, it's weird. And the article I wrote this morning was football in quotes is back in quotes because it's not football. It's something that resembles football, which is exactly what I anticipated it would be. Yeah, there's no doubt that there's definitely like something missing and arguably the biggest part missing because the reason that football is as big as it is now and is has become the major industry that it is now is because of the fans. You know, because there are so many people around the world that want to watch this happen. And I think the around the world part maybe was the biggest motivator in getting the games back, at least on television. But we're all starting to notice that that's not this is not a full product or this is not the final product that we've been used to. Yeah, and it's tough. Uh, the players aren't in match shape yet. You know, they've been out for two months and then they've done what? Like weird training. They weren't really able to train in large groups. They weren't able to play any matches. So to, to call it a glorified preseason match isn't far off because the players still have to play themselves into match shape. Uh, and it's awkward. You know, I thought the the Munchen Gladbach game was portrayed a bit better 
maybe it's the des- then the Dortmund match. Maybe it's the design of the stadium that you didn't see as many empty seats. Um, Dortmund also playing this big, massive stadium, so everything just echoed around, and the echo was weird. I think the intensity of the game will rise over the next few weeks, and maybe we we pipe in some noise just onto the broadcast, which helps drown out the echo and makes it feel a little bit better, but it's still it you're you're never going to get what you, when you walk out onto that pitch and you get the atmosphere of the fans jumping up and down and the music playing that's going to help wind the players up and get them going and you're never going to get that well i i think uh one of the eeriest parts of the dortmund match especially was whenever they scored a goal they played the track of the fans singing the song as the celebration and that just like echoing throughout an empty stadium was not was things that are not aesthetic is what it was right (laughs) not aesthetically pleasing to you yeah um i i think it'll improve a little bit because like what polly said you know those first like two three match weeks in the premier league in august can unless you're beating chelsea 4-0 can kind of be a stinker because i mean you played a whole preseason but at the end of the day preseason game is not what a premier league game is and so that you got to shake the rust off from the summer. And right now the teams are all dealing with the longest break that they've ever had that wasn't considered part of the offseason. So just try to get yourself back up. I mean, the phrase was used like Dortmund's coming into this game in great form. And it's like, I mean, yeah, two months ago they were in great form. Right. Like, I, that yeah. doesn't count anymore. Like form, is, it's a new form table at this point. Um, so I – and what would help is if they had fans in the stands, you know, hooting and hollering and making it loud and giving it that atmosphere that you expect from a Bundesliga game. I think it makes up for the fact of, all right, well, not everybody's in great form or, hey, these players aren't in great form, but they're pushing into a different gear despite the fact that they're not in great form because they have the fans behind them. So it's like, you know, to a certain degree, you're just watching uh, the players. They need to work the kinks back out. Uh, well, you're what you're saying is every sport, you know, the first few weeks in the NFL season are pretty oh. terrible. Um, you know, in, in hockey and basketball or well, in basketball, nobody even starts trying until Christmas in, in hockey. It's, yeah. It's, it's who knows in baseball, you know, the pitchers are still not fully ready to go. So it's every sport, but yeah, this is a two month break where no one played. It's not even like, it's not even like, you know, you have Antoine Griezmann who was playing in a tournament over the summer, along with, you know, the rest of his French team. No one played. Everybody was off for two months, at at least. And now they're trying to get themselves back into game shape, and that's going to take a long time. But like you said, that's part of why it doesn't make any sense, Nathan, is because your form table completely yep. – it's a completely new form table. And part of the thing about a season is figuring out who is the best team over 10 months. And – the bumps and grinds of a season and, and why they say, oh, you know, the game isn't 11. Who's got the best 11 players. It's who's got a squad. And when you, when you, t- when you play 85, 80% of that and then hit a pause button and say, okay, and now we're going to do the final nine games with a restart button. It's, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. And using the uni and Berlin game as an example, and they said it multiple times, Lewandowski would have not played that game had it played as scheduled because he was coming back from a shin fracture. So that that's the little bit of a – why even 
if you finish out the season and play your full, you know, 39 games or, you know, what, however many games you have to play, it's every, every champion probably gets an asterisk just because in some way they are benefiting or things have just changed in a way that it, it affects the season. I mean, if you want to use Liverpool as an example, yes, no one's probably catching them, but still, um, there, anybody else that's on the table, it's affecting, but especially in like the Bundesliga, um, with there being, I think it was a four point difference going into the weekend between Dortmund and Bayern. Um, but the fact that Dortmund was in form, they were scoring a boatload of goals and Bayern they Munich didn't, <laughs> and they didn't, and Bayern Munich didn't have their, uh, best goal scorer because he was, you know, out with a shin injury. I mean, there was an opportunity for, you know, Holland to bag a bunch of goals and maybe they I, catch. I think Dortmund had actually dropped, they had definitely dropped points in one of their last two games before the break, but yeah. They had a chance to catch Bayern simply because um, Lewandowski was out. And now Lewandowski comes back. Meanwhile, Dortmund, as we all know, Marco Royce doesn't come back from injury because, of course, he doesn't. <laughs> um, and then there's all the other injuries that, you know, uh, Dennis Zakaria for Mönchengladbach. All of a sudden, he's got a knee injury. Where'd that come from? Gio Reyna picks up an injury in, in training because these guys are trying to rent back up for games you looked at the if when you looked at the Dortmund squad, it looked like a bit of a preseason friendly when you looked at who was on the bench and you're like, oh, they got a bunch of academy players in there that you never would never normally see the light of day. Let's transition this a little bit to Project Restart, which is the Premier League's plan to do the same as the Bundesliga is sort of doing. The target date right now is June twelfth, I believe. Um, and so Pogba will test positive for coronavirus on June 9th. Right. <laughs> I'm telling you exactly three days. It'll be three days beforehand. Yeah. But, I mean, images surfacing yesterday of players arriving at Carrington for their, uh, you know, initial re-entry tests and the beginning of training, which is uh, supposed to start tomorrow. I, I got a little bit excited, but... To be honest, I'm not actually sure if this is actually going to happen because it the target date of June 12th is a couple of weeks after Britain as a whole is going to reopen. And Britain is not one of the countries that, you know, got ahead of this early. Um, and they're one of the countries that is still being pretty largely affected by this. So it just seems like I, maybe perhaps it's a bit of a rush more so than Serie A and Bundesliga event. But I mean, the Premier League more than any of these other leagues is motivated primarily by the massive intake of money. Yeah. And it, it was dictated to by UEFA that all the leagues had to have a plan in place. I believe the date was May 28th because they have to have the seasons done by the middle of August. So that way, you know, champions league can go on and Europa league can go on without a hitch and so they're also feeling the pressure under the gun of we've got to put something together so that way we can get our Champions League places uh, finalized as is as well. And then on top of that, granted, it's a boatload of TV money they potentially have to give back if they don't start playing. So it, I think they're going to just, you know, put the blinders on and hurdle their way into a into a situation. Um, whether it's going to be good or bad, that's the uh, question that we got to get answered pretty quickly. I... I just, I don't quite fully get it. And I, 
that that's what it comes down to is I don't get why we're rushing back to do this to fit. It, it's all to finish by June 30th and it all, it comes down to the money and that's what I get. And what I find ironic is American sports are basically, you know, the NHL is trying to come back because they need the, the hockey related revenue plays into what their salary cap's going to be and, and what the players are getting. Baseball's coming back because, or trying to come back because the players want to get paid. But for the most part, none of those sports are in, if they, if they take the year off, they lose money, but none of them are worried about going extinct. None of them are going to fold. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because America's this very capitalistic culture and all the sports are in good shape because they're all socialist based. They're all, you know, the NFL teams get money from shared rep get more money from shared revenue than the salary cap is so before we even start before we even have to pay a player you know like or once we're done paying all the players we're still bringing in more money before we even sold a ticket and then you look at european football which is a bunch of socialist countries and their sport is gonna die if they don't a lot of these clubs are going to go belly up if they don't bring in the money from the TV because it's a capitalistic it's a capitalist system. And there's just a lot of to me, there's a lot of irony from that, especially um, I found this in the Men in Blazers book when we announced that get the to get the World Cup, a U.S. congressman, um, literally former AFL quarterback turned U.S. representative Jack Kemp said, I think it is important for all those young men out there who someday hope to play real football where you throw it and kick it and run it and put it in your hands. A distinction should be made that football is a democratic capitalism, where soccer is a European socialist sport. And the irony here is American sports are socialism and European sports is is capitalistic. And that's why they need to come back. And it just doesn't sit right with me at all. I don't understand why they can't figure out you have to take relegation off the table. The Premier League has always been a league about fairness and or they try to be about fairness. You play each team twice. They have fined teams for fielding what they deem weakened sides and say that hurts the integrity of the competition. And now you're going to go out there and try to play a bunch of games in a five week period or jam a bunch of games into five weeks or something when contracts expire in the middle of it. It's going to be behind closed doors. So some teams got to play one team at home and they're not going to get to play them away. And it's not going to resemble anything like football. And okay, it doesn't matter because Liverpool are going to win the, win the league anyway. So at least your title isn't going to be tainted by that, but your top four race can be. Um, and your relegation race certainly can be also. And none of that just seems, that just seems to go smack in the face of the integrity of the competition. Not to mention, they just announced that the women aren't going to play. So apparently it's not safe or right for the women to play. But the men, they can play. And it, it none of it makes sense to me other than the money. So if it's all about the money, just say we're like, just be like, take relegation off the table. And just say, hey. We're playing this season out. It's and call it a COVID tournament or something. We're staging the games so that the fans have something to watch. That distraction thing is there, and we can get our TV money in. 
but don't make it worth something. The idea that it's that we need the distraction and we need to bring sports back and everything. We know it, you know, the distraction's not going to help people when, like I said, on Saturday, I turned on my TV and eight minutes into the game, I was like, what am I watching? This is boring. And yeah, I'll watch 90 minutes of United, but am I going to watch the other teams playing behind closed doors? Probably not. And when we say we need to bring sports back, who's that helping? It's helping the players and their chairman. And, and that's it because the people that need it, the people who need the money are the people who work in the stadiums and all that stuff. And they're not going back to work. Polly, first of all, are you suggesting that a U.S. congressman is more ideological than knowledgeable about economic systems? Well, this was like in the 90s. <laughs> this is when we got the yeah, World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd throw that in there. But I mean, second of all, in, in terms of economic benefit, you're absolutely right. But there are a lot of these clubs that have kind of agreed to you know, still match their workers' wages throughout this. Um, I'm not sure how that translates into Project Restart at all. But uh, from the looks of it, for uh, Borussia Dortmund at least, there were still some staff grounds there, or ground staff there. Not a mix Right, there are, per, there are people yeah. that need to be there to make sure it goes on. But you don't need all the ushers. You don't need right. any vendor selling food in there. You don't, you know, people, think about when you walk down Matt Busby Way, to get to Old Trafford, all those people who are now these people aren't part of the club. So mm -hmm. and, you know, this isn't their main hustle, but there's food trucks, there's souvenir shops. Those people's lives depend on sports, too. And they're not getting paid. Yeah. But United are covering the cost, but they're not getting anything. And if, if United come back, they don't benefit from that. Uh, and, yeah, you're covering the cost of your workers. This is, again, in and. Again, it comes down to the socialistic and capitalistic things is in Europe, England has a pretty good furlough system. If, if it's working for them, you get 80% of your wages. The clubs are covering that. So it's a matter of until the clubs go, how long can the clubs go without money until they go belly up as opposed to in America where the clubs, where the teams really aren't paying any of these guys and all those stadium vendors, et cetera, who need the money and need the sport to come back aren't the ones that are going to benefit from it coming back either. Do you think though, that the income of the premier league TV wise is still a motivator in that sense though? For sure. Uh, yeah. For sure. You look at clubs like Norwich who have reportedly overspent like, or haven't overspent, but they've spent based on what they're going to make this year. And if they have to pay back that, that TV contract, uh, money, they're going to be in big trouble. And then they're going to go to the championship where they're not bringing money in. And that's, right. you know, everybody, okay, think of the championship clubs and the League One clubs and the League Two clubs. If they're playing games without any fans, they are really struggling. And mm -hmm. that TV money isn't going to trickle all the way down to them. So what is the rush here? Just what is the rush and to think about it from an even more competitive standpoint is we don't seem to have a plan after we finish these games. When is next season going to start? And that makes next season now, if we rush all these games, that throws the, the competitive nature of next season into question because Liverpool need to win one game. They need to win one game to win the title. They are out of the FA Cup. 
They're out of the Champions League. They have nothing else to play for other than a record that, you know, again, who cares because it's going to come with an asterisk and whatever. Jurgen Klopp is the most outspoken manager about players' health. Once they win the title, let's say we're playing until the middle of July and we're, we're turning around and we're starting the season uh, three weeks later. Why would Jurgen Klopp play Mane and Salah and Firmino once they've wrapped up the title? Let them, you know, play them here and there so that they can get fit and stay fit. And after that, you, you send them on the bench and you let them prepare for next season because if we're going to play nine games in a shortened period, we're going to run these players into the ground and then tell them to turn around and start playing again next year. Every team that competes for something, United, Chelsea, maybe Leicester, Wolves, Sheffield, uh, and then at the bottom in the relegation battle, all those teams that every game matters, their players are going to be exhausted for the start of next season. Right. I think there are a lot of factors going into this that maybe aren't at the front of people's minds because we're already seeing clubs like, I mean, Dortmund, some of their players have decided to waive their wages, uh, during the break period, just for the sake of the club staying alive. And that's not the case for most of the Premier League clubs. But I, I do think part of the motivation to come back is to save some of those lower clubs like Norwich or Bournemouth, that their survival probably depends on that sort of income. I I agree with you. And and that is the reason to come back. And I'm, I'm fine with that. But take the relegation off the table. Like, if you're right. a league that cares about the competition and the integrity of the competition, just play a tournament here to say we're having these games to play out our, contra- our contractual obligations because to to have real-life consequences for what happens in these games that are just not real football, it, it doesn't seem right, especially because we are rushing back to to this in a country that, as you said, may not be fully prepared for this. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it basically because we want to finish by a certain calendar date. Right. Well, uh, I think we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit more about United going into Project Restart and this Angel Gomez situation and uh, what a Project Restart uh, transfer window might look like. So stay tuned. And we are back for part two. Um, so we just finished off a discussion about Bundesliga and Project Restart and what the footballs kind of looked like there and what it might look like uh, for Britain's Project Restart. But now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Manchester United specifically could look like in a Project Restart scenario uh, with no fans in the stadium. Um, first and foremost, we're fully healthy at this point, uh, at least partially fully healthy. We're not necessarily match fit, but uh, Pogba was back from his injury training with the squad a couple weeks before the lockdown started. And uh, during lockdown, Marcus Rashford has since recovered from his uh, back injury and ankle surgery. So um, guys, is there a level of excitement at least going into these sort of games for Manchester United? I would like to still wrap Marcus Rashford in bubble wrap and save him for next season. Uh, What is next season? Uh, that's the same thing. What is next season? Uh, we are we are healthy. There is excitement for that. Uh, so is everybody else, which again, yeah. you know, takes away from the whole point of the season is we don't 
sit around and go, all right, 10 games left. Let's take a break, get healthy and, and then come back for the start of the season. Again, your form like forms out the window for all, you know, Tammy Abraham at Chelsea can come back and get now that the weather's nice again, you know, that's a huge thing. When teams start out hot, I'm always like, wait till it starts getting cold. You know, it's easy to play well in August and September when the weather's nice, wait till it starts getting cold. And you could see that, Tammy Abraham comes back on early season form and starts belting goals in again. It's just a completely different game. Um, but I am excited to at least see the guys on the pitch. I've I've watched enough U23 and, and youth games that I'm kind of – it's not a completely foreign concept for me to see Old Trafford be complete, be empty when I'm, when I'm watching football, but it, it'll still be weird and, and take getting used to. Um, you forget the Burnley game. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched the U23s against Stoke, so that woman much more. The Burnley one had patches, and it was definitely bad. But uh, I'm would you rather play in an empty stadium or in the 60 plus minutes uh, of that Burnley game, like after the 60th minute when that place just they completely lost it? Probably an empty one. No, no, because. You know, all it takes is a goal and, and things to turn around and, and you get the fans back. Do you think that the absence of fans, though, will maybe help or hurt the kind of nurturing of chemistry in this new look Manchester United midfield that would have both Bruno Fernandez and Paul Pogba, ideally? Nathan? I think it probably hurts uh, McTominay the most because he doesn't have that extra, like, 10% he's getting off of the uh, Stratford end um, if he's playing in a silent stadium, you know. I mean, he plays for the badge, but sure, sure, Polly can find a way to show that Scott McTominay ain't worth it in an empty stadium. Uh, <laughs> depends on who we're playing. But otherwise, <laughs> it's it, this is a, it's a huge advantage for United uh, because like we're seeing in the Bundesliga, the better teams are going to rise to the crop, mm-hmm. are going to rise to the top. and Better teams on paper, that is. Yeah. yeah. For the yeah, and we saw it against last. You know, United didn't go out there and look like world beaters against and like you know come out there and just pummel last. They just they won five nil because they they looked five goals better than last, and it didn't really look like they broke a sweat doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's gonna happen. You know, the the tricky away trips. You know, a, a trip to Bournemouth isn't so tricky anymore when there aren't fans breathing down on you. It's right. also good and beneficial to your mid to, to the gelling of this midfield because you know if you're having a bad game especially if you're one who you know is been somewhat controversial and you try to do something and you misplace the ball and you give it away maybe you start to hear some boos and then it happens again and the boos get louder and then it happened you know and then any little thing that you do wrong the boos only get louder and that's going to start to wear you down and maybe wear down on the team. And that's not going to happen. So as much as, yeah, you're going to lose that extra amount of oomph from the, from the fans that you get from in, in favor, you know, I, I don't think we would beat city with no fans. I think, yeah. You get but we don't, like we don't need to, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, we've played Liverpool City twice already. We've played Chelsea twice. I think the only big game we have left is, or, or big team game that we have left is Tottenham. 
Right. Tottenham yeah. and Leicester. I've got the schedule pulled up. So as of right now, it would be at Tottenham um, versus Sheffield, at Brighton versus Bournemouth, at Aston Villa versus Southampton, at Crystal Palace versus West Ham, at Leicester City. And that would be a huge advantage for us to be able to play Leicester City without fans, I think, um, yeah. especially with, with the talent in that club. Although they have, they had, I won't say have because the run of form is not relevant anymore. They had dropped off pretty significantly. Um, right, but Ndidi will probably be back. To... But if Ndidi's back, then they'll be then they'll be fine. It, their their drop off in form coincided with Ndidi. But um, you know, like I was saying, like I don't think we beat City with no fans. Like Nathan said, you know that oomph that McTominay gets from the Stratford end, he also gets that oomph from the hatred of playing in front of all the City fans. Uh, which is what we said lacked in the in the rear, 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 the rear, whatever the derby is in, in Germany. Um, I'm <laughs> not even trying. Yeah. Um, means so it, it goes. It, yeah, I know what it means. <laughs> it goes both ways, and what ends up happening, you know, if you have to take a trip to uh, any ground where, you know, I mean, the old White Hart Lane is gone, and and the old Upton Park are gone, but going to places like that would not be as scary as playing them behind closed doors and it would sir it would be a big time advantage for united yeah i was that just made me think about how our record at the olympic stadium is actually not good um yeah that one's kind of a tricky <laughs> one our record at wembley's like not that great uh and, and and the olympic stadium is like the fans are so far away i don't even think they have a um like they impact the match too much. Remember West Ham were like pretty bad when they first opened the Olympic stadium. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's just, I think the better teams would come out and prove it. And that gives the advantage to United and city and Liverpool and, and Tottenham and Chelsea when they're playing lower level teams, you don't get that when United have such a bad, not bad, but, inconsistent and poor away record over the last, especially since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. And even in 2010, 11, when they won the title, they only won five away games. Mm-hmm. And it's because whenever we go somewhere, it's their Super Bowl, And you, that, that the fans are up for it. And in turn, the players are up for it. And it makes it much harder for us to play away. And if you don't have the fans, then it doesn't travel down to the players. Well, and two teams we struggled against, Aston Villa and Crystal Palace, we struggled against them in Old Trafford, and now we get to go back, you know, and play the away fixture, but we won't have to do it in front of their fans, which is would have been a huge boon, especially at Villa Park, first game having United back in a couple of years in their stadium. I mean, that's going to hurt them. Yeah, those are two very difficult grounds to go to. And to loop this back a little bit to what we were talking about before, one of the reasons I don't understand – rushing back to play behind closed doors is and Nathan can speak to this because somehow Nathan last week decided to jump into my Twitter mentions and dealt with <laughs> some guy yeah. who was was basically talking about how if everybody else has to go back to work, why shouldn't the players? And despite the fact that he wasn't talking about the UK, it there's something about it that makes sense to me. If everybody else is going back to work, wh- who does that mean? You know, that means retail workers, 
car salesman, etc. So how can a car salesman go back to work if people aren't showing up to buy cars? He can. Nobody will show up, and then he's in trouble. And retail. If you're going back to work at your store, that means people are coming to your store, which means we're going to have social distancing guidelines in place, but this way you can safely open. Well, if everybody's being forced back to work, why are we playing the games behind closed doors? Shouldn't we be able to come up with a way of saying, hey, 80, this building fits 80,000 people. We could put 15,000 in there safely. If, if we're rushing back to play behind closed doors, then it, it kind of means we're not ready for this. But if everybody else is going back to work, I feel like we should be able to figure out a way to say, you know, this row of people in this section, there's 25 seats in this row. So we're going to sell five tickets in this row. And then three rows up, we'll sell another five tickets and be able to put fans in the building and socially distance it. And it won't be the same, but it won't be eerily quiet. And you'll get fans at, to create an atmosphere and it'll be much better. So, you know, why can't we get we go there if we're reopening the country and we're forcing these games to be played in this? Like, isn't there a, a happy medium that can be found here? I think that would probably come with its own problems of trying to get the tickets in the first place. I mean, if you say you can only buy them online, there's absolutely no ticket office opening at all and avoid a rush of fans trying to get there at once. You can't. And so that's yeah. what you do. You say yeah. you, you you sell the tickets online. You say, hey. For this, for this, these tickets, you need to enter the ground uh, from this time to this time. If you miss your time, then you cannot, you will be sent into an area away uh, and you'll have to wait until the next designated time to go. And you'll be able to, you know, you'll, because they already have a a bajillion turnstiles around the ground anyway. uh, And you can, you can let people line up and socially distance in, in line and get them in. And you say, hey, you have to be wearing a mask. Uh, once you get inside the ground and you're at your seat, you can, you can relax the, regis- the regulations on whether your mask has to be over your face or not. But as soon as you leave your row to go to the bathroom, mask has to be on. If you're not wearing your mask, it's zero tolerance. You're out of the ground. I, I yep. mean, I just, it just feels like there's a safe way to do this. And the fact that it's not even being considered is probably a sign that we shouldn't be playing these games. Yeah, well, and the the can of worms that you open with the ticketing then is I forget I I heard Halson mention the number before I think it's like sixty thousand season tickets I mean you're gonna have to switch over season ticket holders into some kind of lottery system and it's like That's how exactly what you do how how satisfied is anybody gonna be it's like hey I'm every everybody in that season ticket pool is spending really really good money and then they don't even necessarily have the opportunity to go to a United game. I mean, you can do a lottery system for, like, college basketball tickets because all the students are getting them for free. So if you don't get it, you know, sorry about or, it. But, you also have to deal with the corporate seating and a lot of the chunks of the stadium that have been sold off. And uh, I mean, there is a way to do it, and it would be complicated, but worth it. You don't need to have Ed Woodward's corporate guests. You say, hey, like, that's not legal. You can have your season ticket holders – you, maybe you even say you don't even sell match day tickets. It's your season ticket holders, and you designate some away fans as well. So you designate an area for away fans, and your season ticket holders get put into a lottery because, Nathan, if 
I don't know about you, but if if I'm a season ticket holder, I'm I paid for 18, 19 Premier League games this year. I'd ra- and I've been to how many have we played at home so far? Uh, for argument's like sake, 14. let's say fourteen. Yeah. All right. Would you the the choice is go to one more this year or go to no more? Yeah, I mean it, that's a rational thought. I'm just suggesting that when you have that many season ticket holders and you can only fit a quarter of them in there, I don't. I just think there's going to be a lot more pushback. Um, and there's going to be a lot of calls in for wanting refunds because it's like, hey, I can't seem to get a ticket out of this lottery system. Like, I need a prorated amount for my season tickets back. And that's something no club wants to do. Well, um, but they have to do that anyway because they're not giving their – they're not – you're not – no fans are going. Right. And they've already well, paid for them. A lot, you, I mean, so a lot of clubs are getting away with it. Worked out is you have 60,000 season ticket holders – and that's proportional for every stadium, which all of them still have about four or five home games left. You know, you you drew the first game back, which is let's for argument's sake, let's say West Ham. You got a ticket to go to West Ham. Now you're out of the lottery, so you can't go when we play uh, Brighton. So you can you can figure out a way to be okay. We've now exhausted all sixty thousand season tickets. The lottery comes back, and you're you're eligible again. So you can you can figure out a way to make it as fair as possible. And if you don't win, then you're not going to any game. But guess what? Right now, you're not going to any game either. I think like as a, like it's an idealistic like it sounds good, but I think one this probably works better for bigger clubs because they can afford to have whatever security they need to make sure people stay where they're supposed to and whatever ushers they need to make sure people enter the stadium safely and all these other guidelines that they have to meet. But it's all but, proportional. You know, at, at, at the Vitality Stadium, they don't need as many ushers, um, you know, right. in place because there's not as many seats. So at, at the Vitality Stadium, which holds like 11,000 people, you know, you don't have – you don't, you only have, so let's say we're doing 20% capacity. So it'd be, you know, 2,500 people, give or take it. You still only, you know, you still have those five games left and, and however many seasons you don't have 20,000 season ticket holders, you have 9,000. So it's all proportional and you, you'd only need X amount of ushers, et cetera, to keep them in, in, in place. Yeah. I mean, maybe write this proposal to the Premier League. It's all money. They don't care. All money. Yeah, I I think it's a good idea, but uh, I don't know. I just, I don't think right now that fans are necessarily the priority. They're not. And and you know what? Also, some fans may not want to go. Some, you know, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing it in the United States of, all right, we reopened things. And guess what? People aren't showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, I guess moving on to the final topic of this episode is, uh, an article that was in ESPN last week that the three of us looked at, um, the, I think chief executive or director of football for Juventus suggested a transfer market that would look somewhat like, uh, the NBA trade format or what we see in American sports where there's a lot of player swaps going on over actual, uh, actually agreeing to pay a transfer fee either up front or over time. Um, we've kind of seen player swap 
or player swapping become a little bit bigger amongst the bigger clubs the last few years uh, as wages have gotten bigger as well. What do you guys think of this or the likelihood of seeing moves like this happen, especially the way that the summer is shaping up now? Nathan? Um, I mean, it's a... I like the idea, just probably because my brain is just wired at this point from growing up watching American sports. You know, it makes sense to me to just do player trades. I, the the financials are interesting just because in the, most of the major American sports, everybody has a salary cap that they have to adhere to. So you can't have somebody – I mean, you can have one player on like crazy, crazy uh, salary like in the NFL, and chances are that player is not getting traded – or they got to do some wild accounting to make it work. So some of these players that you have, like other clubs just can't take them on. Um, Alexis Sanchez being the one example for us. Like mm-hmm. I, it, I mean, you would have to, the, the way people are able to make that compensation work in the NFL is I will trade you draft picks. So you eat this salary money of mine and here's a draft pick as compensation. Like, how do you get a yeah. team to eat Alexis Sanchez's contract with no incentive other than like, hey, do us a do us a solid. Right. Um, it's, it's like you almost have to package cash in with another player to make these sort of deals work. Yeah. Or or it's like, hey, here's Alexis Sanchez. And then here's a youth product that you're really excited about. And we're really excited about like who's on like low wages. I just it's a, it's going to be tougher. The bigger the name. And the higher the wage, I think the less likely they are to get traded. If you've got like good squad players, I think you could see them move around a lot. Like a, a guy who might be on like seventy five to a hundred grand a week, like those players could start moving quite a bit, I would think. But like your Pogba's, I think, are less likely just because they're yeah they're so hard to make work in a system. That that's another thing about the American sport trade as well is that all of these teams are operating within the same expectation financially. You yep. know they're their salary range is the exact same across the board. Whereas their profit sharing is the same. Yeah. If Manchester United wanted to package a player in to try and get like Jude Bellingham from Birmingham city, we couldn't just package in like angel Gomez because angel Gomez's wages are ridiculous compared to what Birmingham city is paying their players, you know? Right. Collins, Collins really hitting the nail on the head here with that. Cause that's really the overarching thing. I think the Juventus, director is biting off a little bit more than he can chew with this idea because you mean like he is with his transfers that he's made yes (laughs) uh he he takes this idea of the nba salary cap because it seems simple of in the nba at least you have like trades can't go through unless the salaries end up matching so when you want to trade somebody that has a big salary you you can't just you know in baseball, you could trade salary and you could say, we're going to send, we're going to pay some of that salary, et cetera. And, and you give us prospect in football, you give them the draft picks and everything. And they say in basketball, the salaries have to actually match. So if we only have, you know, if both teams have a, or, you know, if one player has $60 million on that contract, there has to be 60 million more calling back the other way. There, basketball is so complicated, though, because there's also a salary cap. There's a, a luxury tax where you could go over the salary cap. There's, there's a minimum amount of money you have to spend. Right. Too. There's veterans yeah. minimums. There's mid, there's mid-level exemptions. There's so much different crap in the NBA. The NBA salary cap is one of the most complicated 
in terms of American sports, it's probably the most complicated salary cap. Um, but like Colin said, so everybody's operating financially, but also everybody is operating in the, you know, when you sign a contract with the Utah Jazz, you're signing a contract with the Utah Jazz, but really with the NBA. And it's, it's, you're with the Jazz, and the Jazz is the organization that controls you. So when the Jazz trade you to uh, the Chicago Bulls, yes, I, I guess I'm using last dance relevant teams right now, because that's <laughs> fresh in my mind. But when the Jazz trade you to the Chicago Bulls, you go to Chicago. Like, and you have, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You don't have control over that. Versus what we have in Europe is, is basically the player still has an amount of control because when, when Manchester United choose to sign Jadon Sancho from Dortmund, they make a bid and, and what's happening is, is Dortmund are basically voiding their contract with Sancho. Um, which typically they would need to pay Sancho a lot of money to do, or Sancho would need to break the contract and then he would owe Dortmund a lot of money. What's actually happening here is Sancho is agreeing to a contract with, with United. And then he's basically going to Dortmund and saying, I want to go here. And Dortmund are saying, okay, if they pay us a hundred million pounds, we will release you from your contract for free. Uh, and like, and so that's where the, the, the money comes. So mm-hmm. it's, and then Sancho has to then sign a new contract with United. So even when a swap deal happens, it's not like Dortmund could trade Sancho to United and Sancho just has to go no questions asked, which right. will then That's- raise a lot of questions if United say, okay, we're trading Jesse Lingard to Nantes in France and Lingard's like, I don't want to go there. That becomes an issue because we – and, and in fact, we see it in the NBA. The NBA and football are the two sports where we see it the most. When players are, are fed up and over their current situation, they down tools. So if a player gets traded now to a league or a team, you know, if you get traded from Chelsea to West Brom or to Bournemouth down at the other end of the table, you may not be too thrilled with that. Even if they figure out the financials of it, which would be so wild and difficult to do i just don't understand how it would ever work especially because contracts are written differently in different countries and again like the nba is all under one umbrella league one or league one and the premier league are under different umbrellas and it you know at least they have this system now where you could compensate teams for plucking your players but to commit like to get the players on board to be able to be traded to a place that they don't want to go, that's much more difficult. It's it's almost like, I think, for maybe the motivation behind Juventus wanting to do these sort of deals is that the big clubs that are in financial trouble, this is probably the only way that they can get other big names. Is like I think the one that was talked about between Juventus and Barcelona was swapping Miralem Pjanic for Artur, which are similar positions, I assume similar wages. Um, right, but, and it, but but still it, different style of midfielders that would possibly benefit whoever is receiving who. Right, we keep hearing it whenever Juventus are, are rumored to be involved in with Pogba. It's, hey, we'll offer you Aaron Ramsey, and we'll offer you all these guys because it is—it's right. the only way that they can get a player like that. Yeah, and I mean, it's like the Carmelo trade, man. 
Which Carmelo train? <laughs> the Carmelo train. Right, and it, and in America, you know, you have no trade clauses, no move clauses. So eventually, players would you'd have to come up with something like that. But it's you know the culture shock between getting traded from New York to Milwaukee is big, especially in the winter. Uh, well, not in the winter; they're both cold. But Milwaukee, I assume, is colder. Um, and it's just, it's just dead and, and there's, it's not as vibrant and it's probably more boring than New York, but the people still speak the same language. The culture is probably mostly the same. Uh, I'm assuming people in Milwaukee are nicer than people in New York simply because it's the Midwest and simply because it's not New York, but, uh, you get traded from, you know, Torino to Newcastle, like that's a you're like that's a <laughs> wild difference. That, Although that's like, a big wage jump for you, uh, considering things that are happening. <laughs> yeah, you might be forced to move to Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, all right, without the new ownership, but let me get that along with me. Like yeah, just yeah. just having to move from somewhere in in like the north of Italy to the north north of of England, where salt and pepper barely exist to flavor your fish and chips it's a wild different like that's not easy for a player to accommodate and if i'm a player we're just like i'm gonna be a fringe player in torino or i'm gonna be a fringe player in newcastle it's a question of do you want to do that depends on if you like malt vinegar or not right <laughs> it's, it's right. Just, i i get the idea behind this whole thing but i i just feel like this new cat, uh, the, the Juventus boss just, he bit off more than he can chew. And it, it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to be feasible unless UEFA really steps in and, and basically says, all right, instead of you all operating freely, uh, with us being kind of an umbrella over you, you're really going to become like the United States of America where, all right, sure. Each league is its own state, but we are really the federal government here. Yeah. Well, maybe they can trade for MLS players. But you well, like could Josie I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Not like you can't do that. You could Man. still buy. You could still buy players from MLS, but MLS yeah. at least, yeah, you could trade draft picks in MLS. You could trade designated Damn game, player spots. <laughs> I wonder if you can trick like a like draft day style trick a young MLS GM by offering a first round pick if you're like Juventus or something. I. I that's a good point, though, Colin, because I think maybe the MLS model could be where we're heading. Yeah. Uh, like in terms of every country may be able to establish a system like that. Because also the players unions, the, like the the Professional Footballers Association, the PFA in England is pretty strong. The, the players union in Germany, not so strong. Uh, uh, so you I have also to get a lot of people on board. That would also localize youth structure like big time if there was that sort of like bring up process or bringing up talent process, which I think MLS might have to move away from eventually and become more like the rest of Europe. Well, Just because I, think, I mean, the college system is not exactly similar to that of the academy system. Right. Well, the college system is garbage. Um, well, and the DA is reshifting too in America right now. Like the, the developmental system in America at this current moment is very much in flux. And just like that, we're we're back on American <laughs> soccer. <laughs> but I, no, I think it's every 
country could figure like can yeah. have something like that where you can freely trade between the countries and between the teams in your league. But when you want to dip internationally, uh, you know, if United want to sign Jadon Sancho from Germany, then it's just back to it's going to cost you money. Right. Yeah, I think the major driving force would have to be um, UEFA stepping in somehow and having some kind of ownership over a mass salary adjustment, you know, transfer system kind of thing. Because it, it, right now there's too much, you know, differences in between the Premier League, Liga, and Bundesliga. Like it just you're trying to fit square square pegs into round holes, I think, in a lot of those different swap deals of trying to make the numbers work and everything. And then, of yeah. course, you can never take uh, a player on big wages and send them down a division. One, because they'd never accept the move, but even if they would accept the move, um, you'd have immediately, like, West Brom would be in probably financial fair play hell if they brought on, like, Jesse Lingard's contract out of nowhere. Right, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Like, all right, so you trade Jesse Lingard to Bournemouth, but what's – so – and then you and then you end up saying, all right, like, we'll pay X amount of the uh, – we'll eat X amount of the salary, like, which is what they do in the NHL. But what's in it for – Bournemouth might be, yeah, we're getting Lingard, but what's – what are they sending back? Like, who would, who would Bournemouth be sending back that makes it a fair trade? And then Josh we're just King. back – Right. And then we're just back to like, hey, take Lingard off of our hands and we'll pay X, which is basically what we're doing with Smalling and and Marcos Rojo and everything. Yeah. Like it's just we're loaning them out and being like, we'll pay part of their salary and hopefully like eventually you make this permanent. So even then it just turns into the same system. I mean, even swap deals now aren't straight swap deals. You're you're still putting a technically when we swap Mkhitaryan for. Um, for Alexis. Sanchez, it was you're still putting a price on both players. It was basically like, hey, we're buying Mkhitaryan for 45 million, and you're buying Sanchez for 45 million. Like uh, the way that the bookkeeping works, that's how it went down. So, yeah. Well, um, I think it's pretty unrealistic that something like that would ever take place, especially in a COVID-19 system, because there's still a lot more financials that need to be worked out, especially well, with. I mean, the idea was behind this was because of COVID. Yeah. Right. Teams just don't have money, but like, I'm sorry, Cumentus. I think what's just going to happen is you're just going to have to wait for teams to not have money and for the for the market to just come down, which is going to happen because you already touched on this earlier in the show. Players like at Dortmund have foregone their wages, um, Juventus too, during COVID to for the benefit of the club. Mm-hmm. I touched on it this morning, you know, like we haven't heard anything about Jude Bellingham from the Dortmund side of things anymore, which, you know, we, we've not heard United think that they're going to beat out, or, you know, it's still United and Dortmund are neck and neck. It's all United now, which tells mm-hmm. us one of two things. Dortmund either don't have the money for him or Dortmund don't have as good of SEO as United. Um, and they're just not getting put into those headlines. But in the last two days, suddenly, Dortmund coming out and saying, we're not going to get bullied about Jaden Sancho. Aston Villa saying, we're not going to get bullied about Jack Grealish. Like, yeah, okay. Sorry, guys, but nobody's got that kind of money anymore, and you need money. So when teams are going to offer you anything, you're going to take it. Yeah. Um, Nathan, I just got the thing that you posted in our Slack group about uh, Borussia Dortmund were the only home team to win uh, in the Bundesliga this weekend. It was... The one win, there were three draws and then five home losses. 
So, uh, yeah. yeah. I, go I, back I, for that a little that, bit. I, I think that might be just a smidge of a numbers uh, can lie situation, though, because some of the away teams were Bayern Munich at Union Berlin, Bayern Leverkusen at Berlin. Yeah, my next question was going to be how many, like, top-of-the-table teams played away. Well, Leipzig did play at home um, because we saw that uh, really weird and off-putting Red Bull mural wrap around the stadium. You know, after after Pauly said it, I finally noticed it because I I did flip on the, uh, the Leipzig game. And the way that the awning is over the one stand and the way the sun comes in from that angle, it was incredibly, it was jarring to watch. I was like, what the hell? And and here's the the best way to sum up this whole thing about football and how it's not really football. There was not one complaint about VAR all weekend. Wow. No one cares. You know, VAR's back and no one cares. That's a that's a good mic drop moment. Yeah, there wasn't a yeah. single complaint about VAR. That, that's how I know nobody really cares. It's not the same. Well, I mean, they use VAR different. I mean, they've been using VAR in a, the Bundesliga now for a while. Like they're better at it. I know they're more efficient. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, it's because I, the Premier League refuses to do it the way everybody else does that VAR has become such a problem. Yeah, yeah. let's <laughs> go to the monitor, bro. Go to the monitor. Stop. Yeah. Like drawing lines from weird angles that we don't really understand. Yeah, you just standing there with your your finger over your ear for like five minutes is such a bad visual compared to all right. Take the two minutes to go run over to the monitor, take a look at it, and go all right. Boom, here's the box. I point. You're good. Like let's right. At least tell because then at least this is a topic for another day. I'm not even gonna go to my point. Basically, what we're saying are Premier League referees are cowards. Although maybe they'll be less afraid of fan violence now or being booed or whatever. You know how much Mike Dean would just love to go to the monitor and then just like tell everybody in the crowd, like, no, this is how it's going. Yeah. All right. Well, there was a point on Saturday, I think, where I found myself watching just it was from the final day of, of the season a few years ago. A Real Madrid versus Getafe, like mundane. It was literally the final day of the season. Real had either won the league or they hadn't. I don't know. So like there was nothing on the line in this game. And I was just watching that instead of watching the Bundesliga match because I was like, just the murmur of fan noise makes this more enjoyable. Like we got to figure that out. And until we do, this isn't football. And Again, I don't get the rush to return and finish a season that, you know, when it's it's just going to be weird. I get it if we're starting a season now. Like, if, if, if it's August 10th and we're like, we're going to start the season and hopefully at some point we will be able to allow fans in. You know, that's every team agreeing at first. Uh, it's still unfair to the to the bad teams, but that's every team agreeing this is what we're going to play with and, and I'll get it, but... To rush to finish one still just seems weird. Yeah, I think uh, for one, the support needs to be there from the league for those lower teams. And uh, it seems like that's what they're trying to kind of do with this. But for the most part, it's really just the Premier League that that benefits uh, with the lower leagues. That's still going to be a big problem. So and uh, rules, like the rules like, hey, don't slap. Don't high five. Don't hug. Don't do that. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, but it's 
I can't do that with my teammates who I who I've been quarantining with, <laughs> but like we can yeah. we can jostle and elbow each other in the box with our opponents before a free kick. Yeah. Premier League says it will support a trophy presentation for Liverpool if they are crowned champions and it is safe to do so. Like it it's safe. You can do that. It'll be hilarious that they're doing it with an empty stadium. Like we'll always have that. <laughs> we'll always have Anfield. <laughs> or empty Anfield. All right. Well, boys, this was one of our more on-topic COVID-19 episodes, I think. So uh, round of applause. And uh, is there anything you guys want to plug that's coming out this week? Go watch that video that I made last week. It took me way too long. The new oh, it's out? <laughs> yes. It was posted <laughs> while you were doing finals and stuff. It was posted at the end All of right. last week. The tactical minute. The first one focuses uh, on what went wrong for Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer next week. Last year, uh, sometime this week, I'm going to start the next one, which I bet you, you, if you followed my writing, you can definitely guess who it's about. Um, and yeah, yeah, and then there's that what if piece. What if, what if uh, Ferguson was backed with the resources that of Ed Woodward coming out this week? Oh man, Polly's going after the Statman Dave <laughs> crown right now. He's got yeah. the YouTube channel ready to go. Go give him a follow, kids. And then make sure to drop in his comments. He loves responding to all of you individually. No, I do. I very much appreciate it. It's my first foray making a video. So any feedback that you have, I appreciate it. Tremendously. Meanwhile, Colin and I are still talking about playing FIFA together and streaming it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get around to that eventually. I don't have to write 20-page papers uh, for another couple months. So I got that going for me. Um, I'm also working on a piece right now about Jude Bellingham as kind of a scouting piece um to give fans uh, readers an idea of what he looks like as a player as a young player because he still uh doesn't have a position nailed down but uh what he could bring to the table at united what does he besides size and strength what does he have that angel gomez doesn't well a brief preview um he's pretty good and i think size and strength factors into this yeah uh, it's size but, and strength that's what yeah. he has <laughs> but i mean he's good at finding space in and around the final third and around the box which i think for united right now that could be something pretty useful and also uh when he plays on the right wing is when he gets his most assists so yeah that potentially nathan you got anything um eventually i'm gonna write another top chef recap (laughs) it's it's been i don't know six weeks now since i last wrote one um i don't know it's i came out uh, of the gate of this COVID-19 thing with my hair on fire, publishing multiple things a week. And I, yeah. I, I've slowed down as work is, you know, obviously taking precedence over this as, as much fun as I have doing everything must be babe related. I got to pay the bills, but um, I don't know. I I'll come up with something weird and doesn't make any sense to anybody except probably Colin and myself and we'll both enjoy it. But <laughs> Probably like uh, I think United should leave too. I think that needs to be a uh, we need a sequel piece. Yeah. Or, uh, by um, the way, uh, R.I.P. Fred Willard um, passed away at 86 this weekend. So uh, yep. lost a kid. We lost two comedy kings last last week with Fred Willard and Jerry Stiller. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that'll wrap things up. Uh, wow, that's this. a really somber note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Oh anyways. We're just talking about uh, two comedy 
Stein. All right, let's let's uh, let's let's curve this. Wait, wait, wait! These things always happen in threes. And breaking news: Ken Osmond from Leave It to Beaver. He played Eddie Haskell. Has passed oh, away wow. at 76. Wow. We'll wrap things up on that note. Um, R.I.P. Hold your comedians close. Um, you never know how long it'll last. Maybe, maybe um, you know what? Now that you've asked me about pieces, we're about a month away from the the Last of Us Part Two coming out. Maybe I'll do United players as characters from the Last, Last of Us characters. <laughs> yeah, I've been dragging my feet on United players as Naruto characters because uh, yeah. I don't I don't think there's anyone else that works for this blog that knows what the hell I'm talking about. So I uh, I've been implored uh, by one of my coworkers. She's very adamant. I need to check out Avatar: The Last Airbender and. Uh, you if, haven't seen Avatar The Last Airbender. You have to understand that show started, what, in 2007? I was a junior in high school. Like, I was I was playing Halo. watch cartoons. And we broke off topic. I was I was playing Halo 3 with my friends. I didn't watch Avatar. But anyway, she says I have to watch it. So if at this point she has listened to this far into the podcast, I watched the first episode last night. You got me. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, stay tuned, possibly by the end of the week for another episode. We'll see how things go. But I am free from school. So hopefully more that means more content. So uh, I've been Colin and thanks for joining us. I'll be the same.